And now, God, we come in your presence to examine the Word of God in our lives. Your Word tells us to evaluate, to count, to look upon our own hearts and our own lives using the manual that you've given to us called the Bible. Lord, help us today glean from the truths of this book. Helps that will make us better servants, better worshipers, better sons, better daughters, better husbands, better wives, better family members. Help us, God, through the power of the written word and the preached word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. We've come to this point in preaching our spring series to where we enter Passion Week. And we come to a time that we celebrate as Palm Sunday. It's called the Triumphal Entry in uh, theological circles and uh, for a reason. And it's because it's the passage of Scripture that records the Lord Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, under the shadow of the cross, but with another thought in mind, to be Israel's king. Now, up until this time, Jesus has forbade them to call him king. Up until this time, because of some miracles that he had done, the Bible said, and the people wanted to make him king, wanted to make him ruler, put him on a throne and put a uh, crown on his head and put a reed in his hand and proclaim him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the king of the Jews. The biggest objection that the religious intelligentsia of all of Israel was that Jesus claimed to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God. And when that issue became so prominent during Passion Week that they eventually killed him because he disappointed their expectations. They were actually looking for a military invasion. They were actually looking for a king that would come, that would deliver them from the Romans, that would come and drive out the oppressors and give them victory. You see, all of the parades they'd ever seen, and they had seen many. You know, Jerusalem had been defeated 12 times. It had been destroyed for 12 times. And many times armies had camped outside its walls. So they knew what a parade looked like by conquering armies. And it was always uh, stallions and horses that were ridden by uh, people of prominence and people with a power and authority as they rode into Jerusalem. That was their normal expectation of a conqueror, a king coming into Jerusalem, that he had an entourage, and he usually brought prisoners with him that he'd conquered and puts them on display to intimidate the people. And now the whole situation is changed. Jesus is now willing to be called the king of the Jews. You remember what Pilate said to him when he first asked or was asked the question, are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, thou sayest it. 
That was the number one thing that Rome and Israel wanted to know about Jesus. Is, is it correct that you believe that you are the king of the Jews? And he didn't dispute it this time. Before he had said, go and tell no man. Go and, because the time was not right. And he knew that the Lord, before the world began, had foreordained that Jesus would live a exemplary life, a sinless, spotless life, but he would be delivered into the hands to endure the contradiction of sinners, the Bible said, and to be murdered and crucified by people because they were so angry he did not meet their expectation. He wasn't the normal king. He wasn't the deliverer that they thought he would be because their idea was the deliverer, the king, is going to come and drive out the oppressors. But what the Lord was trying to get them to understand was salvation and deliverance is available to you through belief in the Lord Jesus and his sacrificial offering of his life. Now, so many times we, we talk about the salvific experience. The whole salvific salvific experience rests upon the life of Jesus, not just his crucifixion, but his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. All of them fit together. It all goes together. The life of Jesus is our sacrifice. The life of Jesus, the life that he lived is a propitiation for our sin. It is the one thing that God recognizes as salvation for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. So they have been on their way to this event. They've been in Jericho. We preached about that. He was asked, he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said upon that church, I'll build, I'll build that rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that I build upon the rock of your profession of faith. So these events are all leading up. If you've been with me to Israel, you know the geography and you know the geographical location of Bethpage and of Bethany. They're on the Palm Sunday way, as it is called now. And you travel down. In fact, the Mount of Olives is only about two miles from Jerusalem's entrance gate, the eastern gate. Only about two miles. Bethlehem is nearby. Bethphage is nearby. And Bethany is nearby. All of them are nearby. And Jesus loved to go over to the Mount of Olives. He preached a message that's called the, the Olivet Discourse. He gave us a, a lot of inspiration of praying, how he prayed. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is uh, located just at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And the Bible identified the Mount of Olives where he was wont to pray. Uh, that's a strange way of saying it, but it's where he regularly uh, visited to, to pray to his heavenly Father. He found inspiration there. He found strength there. He found uh, grace and encouragement there in that garden of Gethsemane and strength to be who God wanted him to be. And I want to just stop there long enough to let you know 
God still rewards people who have prayer as a priority in their life. God still rewards and gives encouragement and strength to people that have their own garden of Gethsemane where they go to pray for their needs to be met. And it's a wonderful thing that you've got that. It's a blessing that you've got that. So Jesus is going through this transition here of now he is willing to be accepted as the king. In Luke chapter 19, if you would read with me, please. Verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there with no, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, and when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is torn between being the king and being the savior. In fact, while going on that road that leads down from the Mount of Olives and into that eastern gate, halfway down, he stopped. And the Bible said he did something very strange. He wept, began to weep. Well, I, I've always known there was great shouting and rejoicing at Palm Sunday. You know why they call it Palm Sunday? Because they took the palm branches, stripped them off the trees, and put them on the road so that the road would be covered with palm branches. And they cried aloud and took the palm branches and waved them aloud and around and said, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
What a blessing that was. But Jesus stopped that procession and he began to weep. He began to weep. Brother Irvin, I've never known that Palm Sunday was a time to weep. Well, not for us, I don't guess, but it was for Jesus. And there were several reasons why Jesus wept over Jerusalem during that Palm Sunday trek. There are many reasons why. There's at least three or so that I want to talk to you about today. Now, one thing that is transitioned right here is that Jesus is in command of everything that's going on. Do you see how he's giving instructions now? Usually he responds. Usually it's someone saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. He responds to people's needs. And Jesus loved people. He was a people person. In fact, he loved all peoples, no matter what your background may be. He loved everyone. He took to everyone. He had time for everybody. He surely did. But the things changed right here because the purpose changed. It was no longer about healing people, and it was no longer about doing those things he'd done every day for three years. Now then, things had changed, and he began to orchestrate, and he began to set the, the table and, and fix things and arrange things. And he says to the disciples, go into town. It's been prepared. You'll find a coat. Untie the coat. Bring the coat to me. Now that's very important because we know that God is at work here because the owners knew that they were coming and the owners knew that Jesus would have need of that coat. That coat had never been used for anyone to ride upon. Isn't it something how special things are done for the Savior? That first thing's first. And that is tied also to a tomb that no one had ever been buried in. It was a brand new tomb. Many things are brand new, but that's another sermon for another day. But Jesus was in charge of this. In that Palm Sunday narrative, Jesus wasn't responding. He was controlling the events. God delivered those Israelites out of slavery. Now that's why the Passover, you need to get the occasion here, and that's why so many people were in Jerusalem. The normal population of Jerusalem was something like about 250,000. Now there's close to a million people in the city. There's people everywhere. There are crowds everywhere. All the motels and the inns are all all full and there's no room and people have come with their uh, means of uh, hiding from the elements and being sheltered from the uh, cold and the, and the heat and, and they're living in the, these temporary quarters. There are people everywhere that have all kind of different needs and it's Passover. Passover, when every Jew is required to come back to Israel, it is because of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the next Saturday. The Day of Atonement is a time when you come and you bring a goat or a bull or the ashes of a heifer and you will bring that to the high priest and he will offer it for your sins for the world. Isn't it strange that God orchestrated this whole thing to take place when the Jews were celebrating Passover? That the Lamb of God 
was delivered to them at Passover. Just like when Abraham was looking for a sacrifice, when he was offering Isaac up to God as a sacrifice, the Bible said the angel caught him by the hand and said, don't do this. And God said, for now I know that you love me, and now I know that you're authentic. And he said he looked around, and there was a lamb that was caught in the, in the bushes. And he said he took that lamb. God provided that lamb. Can I tell you that at Passover, the Jews had come to celebrate something that happened thousands of years before, but thanks be to God, they didn't know that the Savior was in their midst. The one they wanted to be king was actually the savior of the world. The one that they thought, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't it something that in one week's time, the people who cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, will say, kill him, kill him. How in the world can religion be so superfluous that in seven days, you can go from proclaiming him king and the one God has sent to crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And that lets us know that their religion was, was very shallow. It wasn't very deep. Their religion, the, all the things that they went to, all of the rituals and all of the ceremony and all the wearing of the garb and the wearing of the phylacteries and all the things that they did, it was a, a instituted thing. It was a, a, a code of conduct, so to speak, that they all went through. But they didn't realize that the God who touches hearts, the God who touches our innermost being, the God who cleanses our soul, the God who puts within us a right spirit, the God who converts us, the God who brings us from death unto life, who quickens us and makes us to live spiritually, they didn't get that. They were still tied up in religious institution. You see, the world doesn't need another religion. What the world needs is to recognize who Jesus is and what he did for every one of us. That's exactly right. He chooses the place. Don't get me wrong. Now, Jesus was always in control uh, not over things that went on, but also devils. He never was a, a time when he wasn't in control. But this time he is orchestrating everything. He is going about the business of living out that, that reality. Not only does he change his, his activity, but he changes the choice of his entrance. Read in verse 29, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, what is the significance of the Mount of Olives? Why does Luke put that in here? The Mount of Olives, Olives was a geographical mark. It was a location. It was a place that everybody was familiar with. And if you ever walk that way, as you top the hill and start to descend into the Kidron Valley, you'll look across and you'll see the temple. You'll see that glistening, standing there like a mountain of snow in the glistening sun. It was built out of Jerusalem stone, which is a special 
uh, limestone that when the sun sets upon it or rises upon it, it glows as if it is alive. Can you imagine what a beautiful, awe-inspiring sight that was to see when you topped the hill at Bethany and you started down and you looked and you saw the beauty and the splendor of the Solomonic Temple. Wow, what a blessing to see all of that splendor and all of that majesty. And that was orchestrated by God Himself. He chose the entrance place. In Ezekiel 43 and 1, Afterward He brought me to the gate, even the gate that is looketh toward the east. The Mount of Olives is directly east of Jerusalem. The eastern gate is the one you enter. After he brought me to the gate, he said, uh, that gate was looking toward the east. Isn't it something that all of us look toward the east for God to make an appearance? What sky are you looking to this morning for Jesus to come? Why are you so shy? What direction are you looking for Jesus to come? East! Hallelujah. Well, then it just seems right then if, the, if our king is going to ride into Jerusalem, he's going to come from the east. And this prophet says that the Lord would come in the east. Zechariah 9 and 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon a colt and upon a donkey. Can you believe that all those years before, Zechariah saw this about to happen? The fact that Luke tells this story and puts it, tethers it all together. Why would that little detail be worth recalling? Prophecy about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was made further back than that, even in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 49 and 10, the patriarch Jacob, grandson of Abraham, as he was dying, he gathered his sons to them and prophesied over them. And listen to what he said in one of the prophecies about the descendants of the tribe of Judah who descended from the tribe of Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine and his coat to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. You see, that wasn't the normal way that kings would enter. It's the way a Savior would enter. He wasn't the king they expected, but he was the king they needed. He was the Savior that they needed. Jesus was a man of abounding joy. Jesus was a man that rejoiced. Jesus was a man that found positive optimism in the darkest negativity. He was a God who was walking this earth in human flesh and his whole theme was about rejoicing. But there came a time 
when he began to weep. And Luke 19 and 37 recounts the scene on Palm Sunday, entering Jerusalem for his last week on earth. And about halfway down, with the people shouting, Glory to God! Hallelujah! Amen! Jesus stops the whole procession and he begins to weep. Sometimes when others are shouting, Jesus is weeping. Sometimes when others are rejoicing, Jesus is shedding tears. Sometimes when people who don't get it are jumping up and down, Jesus is on his knees weeping. Why would Jesus, Savior of the world, why would he be weeping? Sure, he had a heart for people. Sure, he loved people. It was the last week of his life. But why was he weeping? Why are the people shouting glory, hallelujah, and Jesus stops and begins to weep? And that Greek word, aliazo, means this, convulsively. You know what convulsively means? <laughs> Have you ever laughed so hard you shook? Have you ever cried so hard that you shook and convulsed? Sometimes when I bring bad news to families that I love and hold them in my arms, I can feel them convulsing as they weep. The Bible said that Jesus began convulsing and weeping at that time. We're about to ride. Well, Brother Jerry, it was a happy time. There were folks hollering his praise all over the place and waving palms and all of this. Why wasn't he happy like everybody else? Why wasn't he really enjoying himself? But he stopped to weep. And he prayed a prayer. This is the prayer he prayed. If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in thy day, the things that belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. How often do you reckon that we get so caught up in our own thinking and our own opinions and our own way and don't really get what God is wanting to do in our lives and wanting to say to us. He said it's hid from you. There's deliverance. Your deliverance has come. Your day, your hour, your moment has come, but you don't know it. Jesus is here. I'm here, Jesus said. I, I'm doing what God wants me to do, but you don't really even know what's happening. Disciples, I've had you for three years. I've taught you every day. You've watched me do miraculous things, and still you don't get it. Jerusalem, you're, you're wanting a war. You're wanting a, a, a battle. You're wanting a fight. And here I come in riding on a donkey. And what is a donkey? He's a service animal. A service animal. He's one who bears burdens. We're wanting that king on that horse with that sword in his hand. We're wanting that authoritative war maker to come in and, and get shed of these Romans, and Jesus said, 
I'm coming to you as a servant. Riding on a servant animal that has a task to do. Jesus had told him before, for the Son of Man must be delivered up to the hands of sinners, and they will crucify and will murder the Son of Man and will kill him. But in three days he will rise. And you know what the Bible says right under that? But they did not really know what he was talking about. You live with him three years travel miles and miles, bathe in the streams of the Middle East and preach to the crowds, but you still don't understand why he is here. Oh, he said, I know you not that I came into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. Don't you know that for this reason I am come? But they still didn't get it. And he weeps and he says, if thou had only known, if at least in thy day, it's your day, in thy day, the things that belong unto thy people, not me, but thy people, but now they are hid from your eyes, for the day shall come upon you that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee. Jesus looked down the history ledger and saw a time when a general named Titus would come to the Middle East and he would camp outside Jerusalem. He would go into Jerusalem and lay siege. He would plant vegetables to eat and he would plant food to eat all around the outside of the walls. But the people of Jerusalem were starving to death because they couldn't get to the food that was being prepared. That general, Titus, eventually left. He's the one that you see building that ramp to get up to the Jews that are holed up on a mountainside in the southern part of Israel. They died there rather than succumb to the Romans. Jesus looked to a time when he said, your enemy will come pass you round about. They'll wall you in. You'll be hemmed up like an animal. And they will keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus wept because of their superficial religion. They're praising God, but just in a few days they'll crucify Him. And as He stopped and Jesus looked upon that magnificent temple, He said, Many shall say unto Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name and in Thy name cast out devils and in Thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. You see, he called their false praying and their false preaching and their false power and their false performance. He called it iniquitous. It's iniquity. 
not merely uselessness, but iniquitousness. Jesus would weep over superficial religion if he were alive today here in America. America got a few days off this next week for a holiday, and that's about all that Palm Sunday means to them. Easter Sunday means you don't have to go to work on Monday because it's a holiday. If Jesus were to ride into Washington today, I believe he would stop and weep. And instead of saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he would say, Oh, Washington, Washington. How oft, he said, would I have gathered thee unto me as a hen would gather her brood, but ye would not. How long have I put preachers in your churches in America? How long have I had men preaching on your televisions and on your radios and your newspapers? How many thousands of books have I had written in your publishing houses in America? How oft have I delivered you in world wars? And how long have I worked with you and tarried with you and been patient with you? But ye would not. And you don't know the day of your visitation. You know the saddest thing about all of this? If you sent out a survey in America, you would get one that come back something like this. 75% of the citizens of America, United States, claim to be Christian. Are you kidding me? 300 million? And three-fourths of them, 250 million of them, say they're Christians? Yet the average attendance in churches, it's worse now since COVID, was around 11 or 12% of the population went to church once a week. You think Jesus would weep over America? Do you think Jesus would stop the procession and stop the yelling and screaming and say, it's time to weep because you don't know the day of your visitation? He would cry and he would weep because they didn't know the, the religion that was their whole downfall that what they really needed was Jesus. False praying and false preaching. God help us. There's been such an outbreak of that. Jesus wept because of the passing opportunity. He said, if thou hadst known, thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Luke 19, 41. If you only knew the opportunity you have right now, he said. They should have known it was harvest time, but they were blind to it and deaf to it. The Son of God was there and they were blind to blessing and death to the danger. Do you believe God has harvest times? I said, do you believe God has harvest times? 
I believe He does. But I also believe that God has a duration for that harvest time. Because He says in His Word, my spirit will not always strive with the man. I believe God would say to America today, my spirit will not always strive with America. I won't put up with that forever. I've been patient long and I've been understanding long, but you are a hardened hearted people and a stiff-necked people, Debbie said, a proud people. So proud that, that our, our nation, our population will not humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. When are we ever going to get it through our heads that that's the way that you move the heart of God? It's not through riding the horse of authority and narcissism but through the humble riding on a service animal. Jesus said, I did not come into this world to be served, but I came to serve. He said, I did not come to be ministered to, but I came to minister, listen, and to give my life a ransom for many. Wow. You see... Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and he wept like Jesus. He wept like Jesus. Starvation stalked the city. When Jeremiah saw the harvest and the fields rotting and people inside the city starving, he said, the harvest is past, and the summer is ended, and we are not saved. He was too late. Noah's day, Noah's story. There was a season of opportunity. What was it? 120 years? When a harvest is neglected, it passes. But there's one thing for certain, then judgment comes. Jesus stopped on the journey because he was touched so deeply that he wept. He knew what he was about to do. He knew the great price that he was about to pay. He knew that he would die and that he would give his life for the sins of the whole world. Opportunity is not all that will pass. I want to tell you this, the Holy Spirit sometimes will pass. John 6 and 44, my spirit will not always strive. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he's near. This is your golden opportunity, Jesus is saying. If only you knew the things that belong to you in this day. Could I tell you that are sitting right here today, friend, this is your day. Friend, now is your opportunity. Friend, right now is your, your day, your day of visitation. I hope you don't miss it. Don't get caught up in Easter ham and hunting eggs and baskets and your Easter frock. Please remember that it's all about a Savior. Jesus wept. 
I believe he would weep today because the answer, listen to me, the answer is not in Washington. The answer is God's house and God's people. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I say again, the answer is not in Washington. The answer is in this house of worship. And it's with the people who are called by his name. Weeping over lost souls. Live a life of rejoicing, but take time for tears. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126 and 6. May God forgive a dry-eyed, hell-bent church. Because Jesus said, in that day many shall come and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart. I don't know you. Folks, I want to tell you, it takes more than just a casual acknowledgement of God. It takes more than that. It takes more than just memorizing the songs to sing. It takes more than just having a devotion. It takes more. It means taking a stand. It means being counted. It means being on that cross with the Lord Jesus. For the Bible said, Be, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. I am crucified with the flesh. I am crucified with Christ. I'm up on the cross with Jesus. I will give my life. I will give all that I am and all that I ever hope to be. I will place it upon that cross and I will nail it to that cross and I'll be what God wants me to be. He that goeth forth weeping, not everyone that names the name has the goods. Brother, you got to have the goods. We need to be so full of Jesus that the things that break his heart will break our heart as well. And on this Palm Sunday, I pray that you'll take time for tears. Stand with me. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know 
He holds my future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. In all the world I see him, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Hallelujah. I was talking with my brother Michael last night in a church that was a prominent church when I grew up. Had a great pastor, did great things for God. When COVID came, it was such a destructive thing that they were just left with a handful of people. And those few people decided they could not bear the burden. And that building was sold. And that church is out of business. I want to tell you, because He lives, every need will be supplied. We can't lose out. We can't lose heart. We can't lose faith. We can't lose our mission. We can't lose our purpose, our mission. We can't lose that. We must, must have a risen Savior in order to make it in this world. That could very easily have been any other church. Pastors all are telling me, that they're left with just a small remnant. But I want to tell you, times in this country are tough. And don't you look for them to get a whole lot better before the Lord comes back. In fact, the Bible said things would grow worse and worse. But he that keepeth thee, those that are kept by the power of God, those that bear his cross, 
and deny themselves and live the life and speak the word and pray the prayers and sing the songs, they will overcome and they will prevail because he lives. Because he lives. Because he lives. And I'm living by faith, aren't you? And feel no alarm. Care not today what tomorrow may bring. If sorrow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth or everything. And all of my worry is vain. Hmm. The Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be gone. The Savior so gently will take us away. Hallelujah. What a day, glorious day that will be. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this Palm Sunday. Thank you, O oh Lord, for helping us see that in the celebration there was a time for some tears. Lord, I pray that you would touch everyone in this room, that we would go through this week with Jesus on our mind. Help us, O oh Lord, to go through the days of this week celebrating in our heart the fact that our Lord lives, but also praying that everybody who do not know Jesus would be saved. Bless and keep us as we leave this house of worship and help us to be salt and life as we go out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. amen.